laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. I honestly tried a lot of stuff about the actual experience, and as I'm sure you guys can attest to it, when you get into the specifics of almost anything, people like turn their brain up, sort of, because it feels like school. Like if you got a little too informational, I was like, it's sad and also educational, which is a recipe for disaster in comedy. Even if there's like a killer punchline, my dad, saying that he was rooting for me was just like hitting so much harder than the rest of the material that I was like, all right, that is the bit that I'm going to go with. And then my girlfriend really did cheat on me, which was insane. And these things were just, I feel like, much more relatable concepts than getting into them taking my ball out and having a permanent scar kind of thing. You can't laugh at that. You can find us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. We post full unedited videos of these episodes that you can't find on any podcasting platform. Pretty soon we're going to start doing uh, quick videos summing up these episodes that we've already done. And in the future, we're looking to bring in psychologists, humor experts, comedy club bookers for uh, little mini episodes that will be exclusive to our Patreon. So Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod, become a patron and benefit from all of these extra funnies. You can't laugh at that. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at and we find ways to make them funny. On our quest to prove that everything can be funny. With me today, as always, mostly always, Steve Mers from space. Hey, I'm in a Tesla. (laughs) You should do that joke every show. I literally just got a text from Joe Biden, one of those creepy clingy texts. So that was that threw me off. <laughs> we're doing five, we're doing you, podcasts, and I'm, Kamala's like, "Hey, we need to get, we need to round everybody up." And and like, I don't know. Are you getting me. an absentee ballot in space? Yes. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that witty. Um, <laughs> I like you just admitting it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best thing you can say when you're like, well, I'm not going to be quick enough on this one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're dismantling the post office. They're, they've closed their international space even, station location. I can't even breathe. I don't think, I don't know why you think I can't, I can think of something funny in the, in the moment. So that's yeah, my excuse. Right. Well, that's <gasps> funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us today from planet earth is Matt Levy. So. Matt. Is a New York City-based comedian. Uh, he's been featured in comedy festivals. This is right, plural. Plural. Yes. Many. Yeah. More than one. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know uh, a ton about Matt. I do know that we met at the Cleveland Comedy Festival a couple of years ago, and then we've reconnected a few times since. Uh, we can dive into that later uh, if we want to talk about Caroline's at some point. But sure. uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about you. Oh, I just want to talk about my David Horning relationship. Um, oh, please. I love, <laughs> I love talking about me. 
I believe we met officially at what was called the show, but it was on the second floor of a sports bar and there was yeah. no audience. And we were all told to do <laughs> 10 minutes for comics that did not want to be there. And yeah. it was the most insanely marketed thing as a show in festival history. <laughs> it was like unbelievable that I flew to Cleveland to be in the second floor of a sports bar. I mean, I understand all the work that goes into making festivals happen and it's not easy, but that was shocking. It felt like we were in a Denny's or like an IHOP upstairs. It was really, just, really yeah. strange. Yeah. Uh, Matt, how long have you been performing? Um, well, from 2003 to 2005, I actually did stand up with my dad. Um, like we did classes and I think I did a few bar shows here and there, but I stopped to just do like sketch stuff. And then back in like, I want to say 2012, I started up hard again and went, I would say very hard up until the pandemic. And then I'm like, kind of good. I don't really miss it all that much to be completely honest. Yeah. Yeah. Is that weird? Like (laughs) I'm kind of happier and I'm, I mean, I'm way more productive. So yeah, is that I have gotten a lot fatter over the pandemic. So there's, that's the trade off of that. All right. The topic at hand, Matt. Cancer. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so you were so quick oh to just be like, uh, let's talk about cancer. Uh, obviously you have personal experience with it. And, uh, I want to talk about the bit that you sent us and then we'll kind of dive in to your uh, experience with it. So if you want to introduce the clip and then we can go from there. This clip is interesting. It comes at a weird date because today is the two year anniversary of when I shot my special, which is just very random. I, uh, it's not even really a special, but I did kind of a weird half hour where instead of doing a half hour, I did six, like five minute TV spots like what I do for my tight five, but in different outfits and they all had different themes because Mm. no one wants to hear me talk for 30 consecutive minutes, I thought. Um, (laughs) And uh, the last one, because I really feel like you can't follow talking about cancer was about my experience having had uh, testicular cancer in 2015 and getting cheated on by my girlfriend and the subsequent sex that I had as a recent cancer survivor with only one testicle now. And then finally meeting my wife um, and I bring her in uh, at the end of the bit to actually save a joke as well. Because, you know, if someone comes to that many shows, I feel like they're entitled to perform as well. (laughs) Right. You can do one joke. She had more, but we were like, let's keep it tight. We've, she used to do more. I, yeah, I did survive cancer. Um, don't worry, I am fine. I had to survive cancer. Don't worry about my, it was fine. I, my job, they gave me a Kindle and good. Like, <laughs> I asked for an iPod, whatever. Um, it's okay. It's just like a really great TBT at this point anyways. Like, you bring it up once a year and people are like, oh yeah, you did survive that. So, um, I, uh... I, I, you have to tell your parents, though. 
if you're young and you have cancer, which is like a pretty serious thing to do. Like I had to tell my mom and my dad, and I told my dad that I had testicular cancer and I might be really sick, and he's like, hey, I just want you to know, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> and I said, hey dad, thanks for not rooting for cancer. <laughs> so glad you're on the home team, thank you. Um, but the craziest thing did happen uh, while I was like hovering. Uh, I actually got cheated on by the girl I was dating. Oh. Which sounds like an amazing story to me. It has worked zero times. Um, but I have met so many understanding dudes. Oh my god. You know, I've made so many bros. I have not paid for Lagunitas in three years. <laughs> But, like, after, while we were breaking up, she said, yeah, I don't know, I've only been with 35 guys. <laughs> and it's, it's like the old saying goes, you have to be with 36 before you know. And, and it was over, but, like, I, I don't know, I was still, like, <coughs> weirdly sad about it, so I, like, took an online breakup quiz. And the first question was, did she cheat on you while you had cancer? And then I knew we couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> Um, so I like I started dating again, and a lot of my dates ended with "Can I get another chance?" And uh, <laughs> it's not like good. But then I did have like sex on a date, and it was actually at the Upright Citizens Brigade theater bathroom. And oh <laughs> yeah, we're in the bathroom, and I tried out my new sex catchphrase for the first time. I was like, "Yo." Did you notice I only had one ball? <laughs> she said, honestly, I just thought you had two really small balls. <laughs> it's not the woman I'm not gonna end up marrying. <laughs> I love that bit because you, the way you share the experience is like, you don't talk about the cancer at all. You just talk about like your experience with the people that are in your life. Which is uh, which is a, a, a fresh angle on it, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, Thank you. I honestly tried a lot of stuff about the actual experience, and as I'm sure you guys can attest to it, when you get into the specifics of almost anything, people, like, turn their brain off, sort of. Because it feels like yeah. school. Like, if you got a little too informational, I was like... It's sad and also educational, which is a recipe for disaster in comedy. Right. Even if there's like a killer punchline, which there weren't. But yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, eventually I was just like, all right. My dad... Uh, saying that he was rooting for me was just like hitting so much harder than the rest of the material that I was like, all right, that is the bit that I'm going to go with. And then my girlfriend really did cheat on me, which was insane. And these things were just, I feel like much more relatable concepts than right. you know, getting into the, them taking my ball out and having a permanent scar kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People don't want to hear that. No, you, know, well, you could talk about that. 
you could lighten the mood a little bit by like you don't have to say cancer. You could just be like, you know how like there's Lou Gehrig's disease. You could be like, yeah, I had Tom Green's disease. <laughs> Speaking of Tom Green, you look a lot like him. Oh yeah, I get that a lot. I'm you know what's sure. sa- you know what's crazy though is people will bring me up on stage like that occasionally, and then I'll be I'll have to be like, oh great, thanks for telling me I look like my least favorite comedian. Uh, so, <laughs> but no, yeah, I've never actually seen his stand up, but. He's okay. He's better now. I loved him back in the day, to be honest. Right, me too. Yeah. I was in the eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you say I was in the eighth grade? (laughs) Yeah. So it was like, it was, uh, it was like, "Mm, it was good comedy then. Now it's like, okay, this guy's a fucking weirdo, but you know, he's still funny. I think he's funny, but. Oh, daddy, would you like some sausage? It's something that happens in my head once every three days. Yeah. He did that. So when I worked at Caroline's, he headlined there a couple times and he, at the end of his uh, set for like the last 10 minutes, he would do impressions from like Freddie Got Fingered and uh, um, the Tom Green show. Like he would do callbacks to that. And so it was just no more material. It was just him going, daddy, would you like some sausage? <laughs> like, Dude, Oh man. Celebrity sets are my favorite because that always devolved. Chris Kattan was the greatest defender of it. I don't know if you guys have seen him perform. Uh. His entire set, and I love Chris Kattan, but it was cool to watch. It was what do you do? What do you do? Like uh, the, the would you like to buy some cookies? Like stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Mango. Uh, oh yeah, mango. Not touch the mango. I think they played um, uh, "What Is Love" by Hathaway, the, <laughs> the Roxbury song, and he bopped his neck. Oh my god! Their keepers, everything. But you know, I paid like sixty bucks to see it. <laughs> Would he come out with a loincloth and they toss him like some fruit and he'd be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was Dude, funny. That bit is unimpeachable. It's yeah. funny. <laughs> it never got old for me except for that guy. Right. It's like uh, <laughs> dance for me, monkey. Yes, do your art. <laughs> like yeah, uh, man. If I ever got to that level, that would I would not like that would I would kill myself. No. <laughs> No, you'd exploit it for years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't though. Because I'm always like, I'm always writing new material or like taking old material and freshening it up. So like, I, I can't, I have no patience for being stagnant. Fair. Yeah. Okay, in defense of Chris Kattan here. In defense, okay, yeah, let's do it. I th- This was a tour of SNL alum and I'm a massive fan. So it was, uh, Kattan went first, then Tim Meadows, who I think was arguably the best of the three. And uh, it was closed by John Lovitz. So it was like a host feature headliner kind of situation. And uh, I'm pretty sure Catan and Meadows were just capitalizing and just got into stand-up, like brand new. Yeah. Which they were fine for being new. They were okay. They were charismatic, but the room was so good. But it was sad to watch Chris Kattan, you know, just, you know, like dance for me, monkey kind of thing. Like you said, that's yeah. how it's like, Oh, Chris, you're better than this, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His character. You just write about your life. I would be so much happier to hear about, you know, behind the scenes stories than the rehashing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That when oh. Brooks Whelan uh, headlined at Caroline's, this was back in 2014. He did like for his last twenty minutes. He just talked about sketches that were uh, that were shot down. Like Michael Che does the same thing. It's does, so yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah, 
I would okay. love hearing that. Yes. Over your characters. That yeah. We've, we've already seen. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's the thing with comedy. I feel like it sucks because like the minute something's done, it expires. The expiration date on comedy is so fast. Like if I know a joke is coming, yeah. I'm just like, uh, I just, we, it's just like a constant overload. If we want new, 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 we're like, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but like bands, all they want is requests with the old shit. But comedy, if you're not doing new shit all the time, it's like, what are you even doing? Right. Um, yeah. Who was, who was no, it was somebody at, so one of the local clubs, it's like a C-level club. Um, they, like the, the audience, like loves to see the same jokes over. So they, they brought, bring in like road, you know, road dogs that have been doing the same jokes for years. And then. Who uh, admittedly kill. Yeah. Destroy rooms harder than I destroy. Dude, I'm in the back oh. of the room with my jaw on the floor. Like this dude is uh, saying, uh, uh, what was he saying? Um, glory hole, like the Christmas carol, like glory. And people are crying. Losing yeah. their minds. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been singing that in church since I was 13. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's like an emotional connection. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and and they lost their shit because they were there last year when he headlined at this club and they love that and they want to hear it again. And it's like, How hey, do you more power to you. In comedy? <laughs> Are you guys pro singing in comedy? I feel like it's a little bit of a cheat, but always works. I, I actually do sing in some bits. So do I. Same. Like, I love my content, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, but they're it's short. Fun. Yeah. For me, it's always like something like a jingle or like an excerpt of like a theme song of a TV show, but with different words, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but the minute you start singing, it feels like the energy in the room just spikes. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that glory hole thing, he must be like, oh, God, I get so high off of doing this joke that I can never get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ugh. He, but for the last like 15 minutes of his set, he just pulls out his guitar and does a bunch of Christmas Carol parodies. No matter what, no matter what time of year it is. <laughs> Dude. Good for him. Yeah. It works. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a strong tool, you know, if it's, if it's there to like bump up another joke, for like, sure. I, I don't, I don't sing as the punchline, but like I'll do it as a setup or yeah, know, as a, as a tag to the joke. Dude, absolutely. I have a joke where I get the whole crowd singing Hey Jude. Yeah. More fun than the rest of stand-up. Yeah. Like, I get chills when everyone's singing Hey Jude along with me and I have the microphone. It's like glorified karaoke. It's yeah. so much more fun. <laughs> I you know, did this. I had cancer kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you're doing like a personal set like that. I don't know how you guys feel, um, but I didn't get the same joy out of it because I could feel people tensing. And I'm a born people pleaser, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. going into really personal material, I feel like is a, it feels self-indulgent in a way that stand-up is self-indulgent, but it feels doubly self-indulgent almost. Yeah. It's like, it, it feels like a therapy session as opposed, it feels more for me than for them, I guess. I get it. But, but obviously, you know, you worked it out to the point where the bit works. Sure. Yeah. It's, and I'll be honest, it's an okay bit. It's not the best bit. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but, um, that I, I auditioned at a, a club with this. Um, do you guys know the comic strip? Yeah. On the yes. Side? It's like this mm-hmm. kind of seedy, weird comedy club. That's a vestige of the eighties. 
And I did a less refined version of this. It was actually like a month or two after I had been diagnosed and recovered. And um, the guy, his name is Richie. Did you ever audition for him, David? He, no. So you have, there's like, you wait in March of every year to audition and you're given a date. I waited nine months. I think it was like late December that I auditioned. I go up, I do the cancer material. The last one or two bits do not hit at all. And he like has a little chat with everybody after the set. And I won't do that. But he literally talks like Don, an elderly Donald Duck, basically. <laughs> like, so weird. And um, we had this conversation and he says, you can't do cancer jokes here. And I was like, you can't? It's like, what if someone in the crowd had cancer? And I was, it was just a very like weird reasoning because I was like, I had cancer. Like I lived it. Like, it's very strange for you to say that I can't even speak about my own experience, but you know, these old school clubs, which I understand you don't want to offend in any way at all, or uh, kind of like you can do like as many sex jokes as you want or offend in like kind of a harmless way. But if you talk about something deeply personal, you I could get a walkout from like a middle-aged person who has, everyone's been affected by cancer in some way. Yeah. Literally. I as think it's, doctor. yeah, please I think it's, ahead. I think it's super weird how he's like, Hey, this is an eighties club. Keep it, keep it clean. But he, uh, or I also think it's weird that he's like, Hey, what if someone, you can't tell cancer jokes because what if someone in the audience can relate to you? You know, that would be bad. <laughs> True. <laughs> true. It was very strange. I was just like, like wrapping my mind around it as I left. Like he could have just told me I bombed. Yeah. I sort of did, but he was like attacking cancer as material, which we, as we know, has worked consistently. Like Tig blew up because of it. Like, mm. It mm-hmm. propelled her career because she got to that level of vulnerability that was like a threshold that I feel like stand-up sometimes keeps us at, where it's like we have to be funny and likable. And if you kind of become your true self on stage, it often doesn't really translate. And when she yeah. actually did it, it was like, oh, it can work. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a precursor for podcasts almost. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, she found out like days before she recorded that special, too. Yeah, it was so raw. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't even fully formed. It was just like, no. I can't not talk about this. And that's almost like the curse of being a comedian is, is you like something happens, you have to talk it out or work it out somehow. Have you guys ever had like a weird, shitty thing happen and you had a set where you went off the rails and didn't address what you were planning on talking about. And you were just like, <sighs> all right, I'm going to use this as therapy. I should have. Cause my ex-girlfriend died in a car accident. And then a week later I had to do a showcase of hilarities. Uh, and so that was fun. Uh, but I did really well. Like somehow I channeled my energy into like, I was super high too, but, uh, I think it just killed all my nerves. And I was just like, actually, you know what happens when someone close to you dies is they, is you start to appreciate life more and everything, nothing phases you. I think it was very much a blessing and like a silver lining sort of a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was five years ago. It's nothing like sensitive to me right now or anything. So, you know, I'm not looking for pity, but it's, but no, it was, 
It was I very devastating. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I definitely didn't talk about it. I've never talked about it except for when I'm addressing things like seatbelts or something like where it's sort of like kind of I mention it, but I don't go into the actual story. You know what I mean? So Yeah. But. Yeah, that's one of those things where you have to be careful about what facts you give the audience. Like it's like right. I I understand that this is the way it happened, but right. you yeah. know, you, you gotta pick and choose what because it's not all going to make them feel good at the end. Right. That's the yeah. goal. Uh, me personally, yeah. I. Uh, it took me a while. Um, this is before I even started doing comedy. Uh, we talked about this a few episodes ago. We did an episode about murder, which is, uh, that's something that happened um, to a close, you know, a close relative of mine. And it was at the funeral where I like just started kind of making light of, of the situation. And it made me feel so good to make other people laugh in such like a dark and, and dismal time. Um, so that's like, that's the moment I realized, Oh, I need to make people laugh the rest of my life. And then uh, more recently I, uh, I had my first anxiety attack and it like, it lingered on until the next day. And then I got on stage that night and I just, I riffed on it. It, it, I just wanted to like mention it briefly, but I just, I got a laugh on the first line and I just kept going and getting more laughs because it was so raw and so real in the moment that I was like, holy shit, this is funny. And like that helped me through it. And my very last line was like, now I realize how many people are, are dealing with anxiety. Clap if you've ever had anxiety about anything. And like everybody in the room clap and I just go, everybody's judging you. And like, <laughs> And I was like, what a great ending to a bit that I literally just came up with. And then, you know. Right. Dude, so that, you pigged it, man. What's that? You pigged it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was super raw mm-hmm. and it uh, it helped it go away. Like it, so, and I've, in hindsight, like I realized that I work, that's how I work through things. Like I, yeah. I make sense of it through making myself laugh at it. And then I can like talk to other people about it. But until then, I'm just an insensitive asshole. Cuz I don't know cuz I don't know how I'm like what I'm feeling yet. Right, right. Yeah. Hey. You sorry, or actually never mind, keep going. I'll tell this story in like after this little bit because it's going oh. off the rails a little bit. Okay, well, it's <laughs> weird because I have a story that's similar to Jeremy's except dude, I thought I had Okay, so when I was in eighth grade, we all were taught to, like, check our balls for cancer, right? And I thought I found cancer, and I didn't tell anybody about it because I was too afraid to go to the doctor to find out I had cancer. I know, it's counterintuitive. But, like, it took me years to be like, do I have cancer or not? Do I? And, like, nothing, it didn't, like, I went to see a doctor, and he's like, no, you're fine. And then, like, I, like, was like, oh, and, like, I was so happy. I, like like freaked out it was like years later so it was like i was like jeremy except i didn't think i was jewish i just thought i had testicular cancer (laughs) dude (laughs) i actually yeah i believe shit about myself like that all the time we tell Mm -hmm. lies to ourselves Mm -hmm. all the time i'm a hypochondriac dude this was the hypochondriac's dream because right (laughs) i i didn't even think that i had cancer but my boss was like yeah you don't take advantage of our free physicals and I was like, no. So I just went and got a physical and uh, felt like a lump beforehand. I was like, eh, it's probably nothing. And then the guy was like, that's something. And his office was connected to a urologist's office. Mm. And then I was like, seems 
too <laughs> coincidental to even have happened. And then I waited six hours because, you know, you hear that you have cancer and you think they'll take care of you right away. Yeah. No, there was a line, you know, doctors have schedules. So like I'm reading uh, AARP magazine for like six hours Damn. waiting to go in. And then uh, I finally go in and um, the, I tried to do this on stage so many times. This is the funniest part of the whole cancer experience. And it never connected. It was just too involved. But so I'm waiting, you know, like when you get to the doctor and they find you finally get to the chance and you're just sitting there waiting for the doctor to actually see you after the nurse takes you in. And you're just like sort of half dressed. And you're like, this is, this room's a little cold. I can't look at my phone because it'll be weird if I'm looking at my phone when the doctor comes back. So you're just kind of like staring doing nothing for like eight minutes and it had reached like 15 minutes and I was going like nuts. I was like, I might have cancer. I don't know what the fuck is going on. So like I went to the guy's office, like I left the room and went to his actual office, didn't even knock, just opened the door and he is licking his bowl of Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> like he had already finished eating. He was already like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is the best thing. I couldn't wait to write a joke about it, but it was <laughs> impossible to make this happy. There was so much context and you guys were listening like intently for two minutes right there to even get to that. So it, was, it just never worked. But mm. that was by far the funniest part of the whole experience. I was just like, this is what you were doing, dude. This is insane. You was couldn't he like, wait to gonna, lick later. Was he like, we're going to use, we're going to do a cesarean section to remove your, uh, yeah. your, your <laughs> testicle. Yeah. <laughs> I need to finish the cesarean salad first. Yeah. The, the dressing is so good. I don't blame them. It just cracked. I was like, this is unfucking believable, man. I what were you die. going to say? Like, what were you going to do when you got to his office? I was going to be like, I'm, I've been waiting. That was just all I was going to say. Just not confrontationally, just be like, are you almost ready kind of thing? Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe it was an oversight and he forgot for a second that he was supposed to see me. I, I didn't know. It turned out he had a granddaughter that day. He explained later, but mm. just like the weight was insurmountable. Mm, sure. Like, you know, the day you find out you have cancer, you're like, I just want to get this taken care of. I don't want to, you know, dwell. And, you know, I got like an Asian lunch in between. I'm just like sitting there eating noodles, like enjoying the noodles, but like freaking the fuck out. Cause I'm like, am I going to die? I don't These know. These could be my last die. noodles. Yeah. Like I don't know right. the severity of testicular cancer, yeah. but then the guy was just like, uh, you know, Licking a salad bowl. We all have lunch that day. Maybe it's not that serious. Yeah. You need, I think he did that on purpose. He does that to every patient so <laughs> he can relieve them. He's like, I got to lick the bowl so that they're like, oh, fuck, I'm so distracted by how fucking funny this is. Uh, <laughs> it's like a regular Patch Adams. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Man, that's funny. It blew me away when I saw that. I uh. could not believe. <laughs> it felt so insensitive. Like... I was in shock. I, <laughs> you, you know what would be really funny is if it was like a glass bowl so you can see his tongue going up. Who licks a salad bowl? I mean, I guess I do yeah. sometimes, but not at work ever. You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, if in the privacy of your own office, yeah. Yeah. You, does it. <laughs> you guys lick the, I lick plates clean sometimes. I'll if, if needed, I'll, I'll do the finger thing. Yeah. If I got to get a. I love Got to get all that Parmesan cheese out of the, uh, with the dressing on the bottom oh, yeah. of the bowl. Got to get it out. Got to get it out. Yeah. I paid good money for this. 
right? I'm going to get every last drop of it. <laughs> I will make eye contact with another person to lick my plate. You can't laugh at that. Comedy is so weird. It's so fickle. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. a strange beat. Sometimes it's so easy and sometimes it's like infuriating. I love right. it, but I, sometimes I hate that I love it. Yeah. It's like, it's like Twitter. I'll write something that I deem genius and I'm like, this will go, this will do a hairline crack all the way through the universe. But no, <laughs> but no, I, I do something real fucking offhand and it just fucking explodes. And I'm like, what the every fuck? time, dude. Yeah. Cause that's what you. I feel like the more curated and crafted it is, people f- smell it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sec- I mean, it's just like, you know, when, we shoehorn talking about cancer as opposed to just like riffing on it. Mm-hmm. It feels so much worse. And that's probably the way it feels with like tweets that you were like, this is genius. Right. Yeah. yeah yep. You take all that time to be meticulous with it. And then it's just nothing. We feel too, it. It's too, um, contrived. Yeah. You gotta, gotta get that out of the, the el- that element out of comedy and then it, it works. Dude. It's the offhanded stuff that everyone actually thinks too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like when you have just like a thought, you're like, oh, yeah, why not? And then that's what other people are thinking. But like the other stuff that you're thinking about, you're like, oh, no one else is actually thinking about this. I'm yeah. trying so hard to craft a bit that no one's mind has ever even come close to coming to this thing. All right. And it's just like you're doing gymnastics for no reason. I should be worrying about being a little bit more relatable and less funny because relatable stuff is still can be very funny, but also relatable is important. So it's like, yeah, you know. I don't know. Relatable is such like a weird avenue to go down too, isn't it? You're just like, ah, what? Is, who are these people? Like, right. I don't know what the fuck they want. Like, it's it's strange. And True. then eventually you just get comfortable, and you're like, I'm just gonna do this eight minutes and never stop. This Christmas Carol thing works. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just like, what am I even? I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, it's it's comedy is very very odd. Like we all just want offhanded fun thoughts. Like what riffing is here. This is all anybody really wants to see when they go to a comedy club. I think like mm-hmm. they want to hear like a great conversation that maybe only one person is talking as opposed to just like what feels sort of like a lecture with punchlines. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know. I remember seeing like Robin Williams hour or whatever. And I was like, this just feels like a lecture. It just felt like, I was in school or something, even though he's like the most off the cuff comic. Yeah. I was just like, man, I would much yeah. rather, you know, watch a movie with Robin Williams in it where he's having fun rather than like doing stuff that he thought about for so long. Like, ah, all right. This has gone too far. Yeah. It, I've gone too far. You, I have allowed this to happen. I apologize. <laughs> no, you make a good point, though. I mean, audiences want to feel like they are saying those things for the first time yeah. like, in front of them, you know? They, 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 I mean, even, like, some audiences or some, you know, some people in the audience actually think that the comic that they saw at the comedy club last night that's been doing that set with tweaks and, and rehearsing it at home at, for the last year they think that that's the first time they've ever done it. And just listening to people like talking as they're leaving a show is like, wow, you really think that? And like, that's what people want. I mean. Yeah. And then you, as a comic, you're like, I don't even remember the bits because it was just robotic. Yeah. Like, I've done that. And you're like, what bit are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, you like the roller coaster thing? 
like in your head, it's just the roller coaster thing, and all yeah. the content isn't even there. Yeah, it's yeah. so fresh to them. Yeah, it's their first time hearing it. Like, I, I empathize with that though. Like, uh, I feel like as an audience member, it feels like a magic trick. Then, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. a beautiful yeah. thing mm-hmm. uh, where they think it's like sort of off the cuff, as opposed to like, oh man, this is someone's job. I'm watching yeah. someone's <laughs> work or their hobby. Like, it's just more fun when they think you're having fun. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't want to. You don't want to make people think too much. Like. You know, you want them to be in the moment with you. That's the key. Yes. Yeah. It's a very experiential thing. Yeah. With as, as ashamed as you feel of telling the same joke for the hundred something time. So much. They, they, yeah, it's that shame. You don't want other comics to see you say, saying it again. But then you have, even though they like joke, like they, you know, it's like you, but it's, you got to constantly remember to tell the audience the joke like you're telling it for the first time because it's their first time hearing it. Like you mm-hmm. said. Dude, you can't say a word out of order either. Like, I have a bit about Subway. I feel like I said one word out of order once, and it got absolutely nothing. And I was like, mm. yeah. That's yep. the bit. That's my good bit for you guys. That's and funny how that works. <laughs> now it's nothing. It's, it's, it's literally the worst joke in the world now. Yeah. Or if you do it fine and it just works, it like always works, but just that one time it doesn't work, and you're like, all right, cool. Um, well, I didn't see that happening. Uh, yeah. And then you don't do it for eight months. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, it, it didn't work the one time. Just because it's batting 980 instead of 1,000. Yeah, think. right. Yeah, it's officially <laughs> I dead. I want jokes that bat 1,000. Yeah. Right. There's no such yeah. thing. There's there are, uh, Oh, there are. I feel like some jokes hit everywhere. Not, not necessarily yeah. mine, but like, I think in any room, some jokes will hit anywhere. But... but I, I agree with the 980 thing. That's I have jokes that are 980, but the that that you know 20, that 020, whatever, whatever the it number hurts, is. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's the only time you'll remember telling that joke. Right. It's burned in the brain. Yeah. I always I, I've got into the habit of like if a joke bombs, I'm like good. I can. That means I can fuck with it more. Like there's more room to for the joke to grow. Um, that's why I record my sets too, because sometimes like a joke that I do that always works doesn't work. And in the moment, I'm like, what the fuck? That's funny. And then I'll listen back to it and be like, oh, I paused a little bit different here. Or like you said, oh, that word's out of place. Like, it's those little things that you don't notice while you're on stage. But then after you listen to it, it's, it's very clear that, oh, I'm, it's my fault. Or like, I didn't make a good, big enough connection with the audience or strong enough connection. And I'll just be honest, guys. It's always the room's fault. Yeah. <laughs> if you could take anything <laughs> away from here. On the room. <laughs> 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 yeah yell at them literally I, yell at them walk off the stage it's their fault yes <laughs> it's not me yeah. i know that oh, man. every other comic killed they're wrong <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I i was at a, a mic a few weeks ago and one comic first time i've ever seen him uh just all of his jokes were like so my wife's a whore so i was getting blown by this hooker my wife and like nobody was laughing and after every, and he would pause for the punchline or the laugh and it wouldn't come. And then he'd yell at the audience and then tell the next joke. So by the end of his set, like people have left the room it's, it, and I'm just sitting there watching with my hand over my mouth because I can't help but like laugh at him. Sure, that? I'm mad that that guy took my material. <laughs> <laughs> I cross it off. Cross oh, it off. God. How many times have I made that joke in my life? Oh, <laughs> I, my wife hates it. 
it was Jeremy. <laughs> when will this end? I know we don't want to need to talk about COVID, but please, will this just end? Yeah, it's right. all something we're going through, you know? And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, shit, when I was sick, and this goes back to your, your bit on uh, relating to the audience, like, I feel like instead of telling the the, the story about my experience, I was trying to like shoehorn things into jokes. Instead of being like authentic about my experience, I was worried about like writing jokes about it instead of just letting the punchlines naturally happen. And I learned that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like but what you were saying about the, the cancer bit um, probably felt the same until you did the dad bit. I remember the first time I found out and I just did a mic. Mm-hmm. I went to the mic and I didn't want to even talk about it. It was, I mean, my TIG set was not even a show. It was a mic. Um, and uh, the mic was too full, so I had to leave. And I didn't want to tell anybody. And uh, I went all the way across town with another comic. Didn't even want to mention it just because I was like, I don't want to talk about it. And I don't really know enough about it yet. And I feel like just talking about cancer because of comics like TIG <clears throat> feels hack already. Like, it just felt wrong. And then I did a set, and nothing about it worked. And, it, like, the host hugged me. It was just like, (laughs) I was just like, this is not what I wanted. Like, it made me feel even worse. Mm. I was like, oh, it's real now. Like, people feel bad for me. And I I thought I might die. Like, I didn't know. And um, then, uh, I don't know if you guys know, it was not that serious at all. You just have a surgery that takes an hour and then they remove a testicle and then you just can't really walk for like a week and that's it. Um, yeah. But after that, like I, my rep for a little bit was the guy that had cancer. So that was kind of a bummer too, you know, like, cause it was like, oh, now I have a thing, but it's a kind of thing. I don't want to be my thing. Like I, you guys, I think people still are like, you're the one ball guy, like in, in Rose in New York, Everyone goes to it immediately. Like I've yeah. done, I want to say 35 roasts and I think 35 for 35 people have done ball jokes. Like it's the only thing people know about me really. And yeah. I don't know if you guys have a thing like that, but it is kind of boring after a while. So I sort of don't really do, or I stop doing cancer material because it's just like, ugh. Bums crowds out, and also comics immediately uh, shoehorn you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's a weird thing. You're like, oh, cool. I can kind of maybe play with this, and you're like, I'm good. It just it feels too personal and exploitative of my real life to even continue with it. We had a comic in Cleveland, I think. I can't remember if it was a comic or just someone I knew, but I'm pretty sure there was a comic that had testicular cancer and had like a whole bit about it and everything. I just can't remember what it was. I don't think Jeremy remembers. Did he say like balls in your quarter or something like that? (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. Did you say that? Um, Oh, yeah. I heard many like Matt's got one more ball than he has jokes. Like that was a classic roast joke. Those over and over and over. And I was like, all right, Hmm. I'm good. But uh, nope. from 2015 to 2016, I ran that shit hard. I was yeah. like, so, this will 
elevate my comedy status <laughs> you get to like exploit your own tragedies and it wasn't even really that tragic to be completely right. honest my girlfriend did cheat on me at that time which was very weird mm. I, I feel yeah. like that's the bigger tra- I mean at this point you know it, it was so long ago that that it's probably not even like fresh to you and no, irrelevant I'm really over but at the time it was so weird to find out that's what I like about the joke is like you start with this is what my work did for me like I got a Kindle she like, kept the Kindle she insane. kept the Kindle how did she I didn't get the Kindle? the Kindle she asked if she could borrow it and then we broke up and she had the Kindle uh, anymore you try to rekindle that relationship hey yeah. I did tweet um, an ex of mine took my Kindle and I'm debating if I should get it back and then I blocked her because I was like oh man if she sees this could be really bad mm. but uh mm. it was the weirdest thing i think i found out about it because she didn't want to come to my work party which was weird because we were both very into free food and <laughs> yeah. that was the the signal that something was off and i found out what was going on did she like how did how does that come up was it well you still had cancer that she did no it? so i had had it and then she came with me to for the surgery, came back and was just like, and we'd already like sort of broken up. It was all probably all my fault. Yeah. And then... Um, Go back and listen to the recording. <laughs> yeah. And then when I came back, just one day she started crying. It was like, I cheated on you. We just need to break up. And that was it. And I played the victim card for a long time, but I was probably not that great myself in retrospect or something. I don't even know, but playing the victim card is probably not cool after a while. <laughs> yeah. You can only right. play with that for so yeah. long. You can, you can yeah. be the victim in your head forever. Yeah. <coughs> so I did that for two years. <laughs> 35 guys. What? Oh yeah. She had been with many dudes. That was based in fact, for sure. So she cheated on you with 35 different people? No, no, she had been with 35 guys before. Okay. And I don't think, honestly, this this is not the best version of this set. It's just like the only one that's online. Yeah. But um, (laughs) she, uh, yeah, I think the exact wording was when she said, I haven't been with that many guys, just like 35 or something like that. And she just wanted to go be with more people. And, you know, that's fine. You know what? I didn't, it, at the time, I was really like, it's her fault. It's her fault. But, yeah. dude, we're just people, man. Right. Yeah. Fine. People have moments of selfishness, and you can't let it dwell on it forever. Right. It's like, hey, girl, you do them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is full-on therapy, David. This is the best <laughs> podcast of all time. This is comedy, man. <laughs> Comic <laughs> therapy. Yes. That's what we need is we need therapists who are also comedians who can like make you find the funny and everything. All right. This is crazy, but I actually do comedy. I act as a comedy therapist for people. Yeah. No joke. Yes. Where I just talk about their career as like a manager type. It's more like I'm their manager, but from the perspective of a fellow comic and uh, it just goes forever. Just, talking about like what they want to accomplish and whatnot. And it feels really, really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, comedy therapy sort of does exist. Cause I think Maria Bamford does it as well with uh, people too. She does pretty much everything better than all of us. 
us. It's good to talk goals and talk comp, like shop with people because you kind of process a lot of things that you may not have understood before. Uh, I did that with Dan a couple nights ago. We were just trying to sort through like what we want to do next. And it's just like very cathartic. And so, yeah. It's weird because you feel strangely um, self-indulgent once again, like talking about yourself. Yeah. It's like, oh man, it's boring if I tell people that I want to do a special in two years. Like, but other comics are the people that would actually want to hear it if they're good enough friends with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like... Yeah, I, I do love that conversation um, because most of the time it's like, you should do it. Yeah. Like, here's, you know, but also not like blindly. Like you also need to write better jokes. Like I like when people just give me the God's honest truth. Like I'm not, my feelings are not hurt easily. <laughs> Good. If That's you have a, per, if you have a perspective of me, it's not my perspective of me. And it, I value that. <laughs> right on. Well, that's healthy. Yeah. 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 I, I get mad at first, but then like in my head, but then I think about it. I'm like, Oh no, they have a, they have a point. Dude. That is the way to live. They have a point is the best motto of all time. Yeah. Even if it's not true, it is. (laughs) It's a different way of looking at it. Like that's, and that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast. It's like, let's take this topic that one person has a different angle on that. I don't, and they made it funny. And let's talk about how other people made it funny. And like, there's no object, one objective truth. So why, you know, why try to yes. consider something as being like good or bad? It just is. Right. I like that. Yeah. And there are so many ways to talk about it. Like there are an infinite number of ways to talk about anything if you have that perspective. And that's why I wish more people were like, instead of being like, no, it's either this or this. Like, no, it's everything, but it's yeah. also nothing. <laughs> Bro, we should all just smoke weed right now. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Smell um, vision. <laughs> but th- but here's the thing that that's kind of what you do with this joke. Like, and I think that's how you connected it with audiences is because like you started talking about you know how what what work did uh, for you with your how your parents responded, how your girlfriend responded, how the new girl that you hooked up with responded. Right. Everybody can relate to that. Not everybody can relate to having cancer. Sure. So, I guess the stuff that was about my experience wasn't as relatable. You kind of externalized it. Like the stuff where I was talking about me, people were like, eh, not really. But they were like, oh, okay. Uh, women not wanting to hook up with you, relatable. But guys really like, holy shit, are you okay, dude? Can I buy you something? Yeah. That really did happen. And when I did that joke for the first time, oh, it exploded. I was like, oh, okay. I did find out the angle. It is, cancer is more about the centering of others than other things. Just like, you know, as we white people, we white center. I did it to Jeremy before the show started Yeah. Uh, about my mom working at a native American health clinic. Like when people hear other people have cancer, they immediately don't ask about it. They tell you about how they knew someone with cancer mm-hmm. and you got to the heart of what I did with it, man. Good. That's I knew we would find it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. That's totally what I did. Yes. Because it's people's reactions to cancer are funnier than cancer itself. Right. They're not, they're not necessarily laughing at your thought. They're laughing at their own like experience attached to what you said. The discomfort at addressing something so raw right to someone's face. It's very weird, you know, like not to bring it back, but like when Steven was talking about his girlfriend, that's, we don't know what to say. It's really hard. And that's 
you talking about it is tough, but you talking about me not knowing what to say is like, is easier to talk about and right. relatable for everyone. Cause that's like so incredibly intense. But for me, like as an outsider, I'm just like, you can't say yeah. the wrong thing. Right. No, you got to reassure people You're like, no, it's fine. Everything's cool. Like, yeah. So like, now you have a job. Yeah. It's like the weird, it's very weird to bring up any kind of tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. Because immediately then you have to reassure and play therapist to the other person because mm-hmm. now they're the victim almost. It is, it is very weird. Uh, mm-hmm. Like my grandma died. What? Oh my God. No, seriously. Like, and then I'm like, guys, I'm fine. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's the one that died. She's yeah, not. <laughs> exactly. yeah, it's like, you're like a second degree. You're two degrees away from that yeah. kind of thing. It's, it is, it's interesting how, uh, you know, human nature is to constantly reassure others, but right. it is it's part of the experience. Yeah. yeah. They, they feel comfortable. All the time. Steve, we talked about this in the murder episode too. Cause like I was telling my story and how at first when I started joking about it, like audiences would just be like, Oh, or like, or like tighten up. And our guest on that episode, AJ was like, they don't have, permission to tell you how to feel like I forget how he worded it but it was basically they're seeing it through their own personal lens like they you haven't made it okay for them yet like you have if there's like an extra step that you have to take to connect that the self-deprecation I know I watch audiences tense up at self-deprecation a lot even though it's clearly made to make them laugh they just don't want to laugh to um to acknowledge something to be perceived as true when it can be a negative seen as negative in society. So yeah. it's like weird. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you, you see it a lot too far with self-deprecation, people are just like, Oh, you think of yourself like this? Mm. Right. So sad. Yeah. They're just like, Oh, there's no one that's really that well adjusted, but they're just like, Oh my God, these people are just sad people talking. It's not, right. it's not what I thought the comedy show would be. Yeah. yeah, I thought this was going to be fun, but now everyone's pressing the shit out of me. Yeah, you have to make it okay. Like the, at the end, yes. you know, you, that's that's it. You, they can't leave feeling sad or angry. You right, know, you have to find a way to neatly tie it up into a bow. That's kind of what makes that TIG set so incredibly incredible. Because it, let's do you want to listen to it? We should listen to it, dude. I've listened to it many times. I'm happy to, but I uh, a friend of mine. Uh, or a friend of my brother's, really. He was, like, his best friend. And we were just, like, sort of friends. He was diagnosed and died from cancer. But I gave him the TIG set, and then I felt so weird about it afterwards. I never brought it up with him. But mm. it was such a strange, almost centering move of my part to give him a piece of media to consume about his own mortality now. And I regret that so much. But this was, like right when it came out when was that like 2013 or something mm, i don't know maybe he never listened to it i hope he never listened to it <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> your your head and your heart were in the right place yeah i think i was like i just want to relate to him and which is you know the weird like making it about myself mm-hmm. kind of thing and this take thing is so I imagine it probably only made him sadder rather than like, oh, I can relate to that. Right. Probably just like, oh, God. 
So many comics have adopted this exact cadence in New York, at least. The mm. hello, my God, it, it's almost painful to hear it now. But um, when this I first heard it, I was like, oh, "This is this is groundbreaking comedy." I think. Mm-hmm. Good evening. Hello. I have cancer. How are you? Hi. How are you? Is everybody having a good time? I have cancer. How are you? Ah, it's a good time. Diagnosed with cancer. (sighs) Feels good. Just diagnosed with cancer. God. Oh, my God. It's weird because with humor, the equation is tragedy plus time equals comedy. I am just at tragedy (laughs) right now. That's just where I am in the equation. Oh, it's fine. I, uh, well, I'll, here's what happened. I went, I'm going to get, it's very personal. Found a lump. Guys, relax. Everything's fine. I have cancer. <laughs> Found a lump. Got a mammogram. You know, they're doing the ultrasound. They're like, oh, we found a lump. I was like, oh, no, that's my boob. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 we, we found a lump on the other side, too. I was like, yeah, I got one over there, too. Those are my boobs. Um, I ended up getting biopsies, uh, which is painful. It was like being stabbed. I felt like I'd been rear-ended all day and then just dropped off back at my house. I couldn't move or anything. Um, and it was just, it was so like, intrusive and horrible. And I was just like, God, after all of these like ice pick stabbing feelings, I better have cancer. <laughs> Somebody over here just keeps going, oh, <laughs> Oh, I think she might really have cancer. <laughs> Who this really bad? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. It might not be okay, but I'm just saying. It's okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with me. She gets to, she does, it is very uncomfortable though when she's talking about her experience. You totally nailed the, people can't really relate to it and it's, they go to that place where it's like, can we laugh at that? Right. It's a bit, but. It's like they know it's funny. Like the comedians are like, this is gold, but, and I want to tell these people, but I'm putting them in a weird place where they may not laugh at it despite the fact that it's clearly nice, ironic humor. Yeah. You know? Like, the thing about her boobs is great. Right. But it's just, like, 
whoa, this is a lot to put on us because we just spent $20. It's a Wednesday. We have work tomorrow. Our lives, we're not expecting anything other than just like crowd work and bits about, you know, uh, politics. Like they weren't expecting to be blindsided by a revelation. And when she breaks that tension so hard by just pointing at the guy that sighs. Yeah. That's, dude, that's the connector. That is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause even though he's audibly sighing, everybody's internally like, what? Like what? Yeah. Ooh, this is heavy. And <laughs> something heavy comes up. It's just yeah. like, I, I just do this. Yeah. You know? I just start shaking my head cause I yeah. can't actually say anything of value. Yeah, what do you, how do you think she, like, really, I mean, what's the point where there's that release of tension? Is it when she... I'm going to be fine. Well, I don't know. I think... Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's when that picks up, man. That's when it's good. I feel like this is so much better than the next one, because Mm -hmm. the blindsiding of this one is so good. Right. It's like... You can't top that, really. Yeah, I don't know if I'd seen anything like it before. Like, I feel like she created a new vocabulary for comedy. Like, we were talking about uh, tigging earlier. Like, this is a type of set where someone goes in after something really personal has happened, and Pete Holmes does it in the pilot of Crashing, and it's kind of, like, you know, appropriating what she did. But Mm -hmm. we all are tigging, basically. When we Like, I lost my job. I tigged. I had a good set, but I left and I was like, well, that's what Tig did. It's nothing like, I didn't break ground. Like she, I think she broke legitimate ground here. Yeah. 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 It's like nothing I've ever, some of the best comedy I've ever seen really. Mm -hmm. Like Andy Kaufman sort of did it, but without punchlines when he had cancer and he had like the lump and he'd have people come up and touch the lump. (laughs) I mean, it was, it was funny, but like to comics, but to the audiences, it didn't, crossover because it was just like it stayed in the uncomfortable zone mm-hmm. which is Andy Kaufman just stays there as opposed to Tig who's like I'm going to break through that and actually get with you yeah it's weird yeah. how you you can't almost top it but you can't put it anywhere but the beginning and it just happens so you have to like what are you going to do just not talk about it especially when you wrote these really funny jokes for it like mm-hmm. Dude, well, have you guys have listened to this whole set, right? I can't okay, say I'll that I have. Do no. you mind if I spoil a little bit? No, go ahead. It's fine. Um, at the end of this set, she does one prepared joke that has such low stakes that it is 50 times funnier in retrospect. It's just about like a bee being in traffic and like existing and not really knowing that traffic exists or something along those lines. Mm. It's just like, you know, a very silly, you know, Tig did kind of like heady, mundane stuff. And it's with knowing how, what's going on in her life and that that's what she was going to do. It's like one of the most cathartic laughs ever. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's very, very funny. And it's just like, oh yeah, that, that is what we would have seen. And it would have been fine, but knowing that that's actually going on, what's actually going on in her life, it's hysterical. Like that she was going <laughs> to do bits about bumblebees in traffic. <laughs> like, you know, the silliest little thing. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah. what it, uh, the first, what, seven 
tracks on this album are about are, are from the are based off of the cancer thing like and her mom is sick she had some relationship thing happen as well mm-hmm. it's just like a laundry list of horrible events happening all at once for her mm-hmm. and it just gets worse and worse and worse which is it's funny but then boom that tension when she just does her actual bit at the end uh and you just hear the language of the patter of a prepared bit. Uh, it's one of the best comedy moments I've ever had. I think. <laughs> I heard it on a CD. I don't think this was even filmed, if I recall. I think Louis released it, actually, if I recall. Yeah? Yeah. It was like, I paid like five bucks on louisck.net in 2012 or 2013 for this thing. Okay. I didn't realize that other people released albums through his website. I think this was maybe just the one, or maybe there was one other, but like he was, as we recall, so big back then mm-hmm. that like him just like, you know, saying Louis C.K. presents was such a platform to help other people out. Yeah. I mean, Bill Burr does that now. Yeah, and now Tig has denounced Louis, but yeah, sure. Uh, at the time, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll give it a shot." I've seen Tig on Premium Blend in the <laughs> right. I'm a fan, but then I was like, "Oh my god, this is nuts! This is yeah. like it was next level." No, it is, and it's that you have to make that connection, especially with something so real and raw and in the moment. Like if you can't make that connection you might as well just be talking to yourself like right yeah dude a hundred percent if you're literally just talking about uh you know not having boobs it's gonna be very very sad right you have to figure out how to get everybody on the same page or else it's gonna be the most uncomfortable half hour for people ever sure and i think this is just a good lesson for like all comedy all film all forms of entertainment it's just like if you navel gaze a little too hard, people zone out immediately. Like the navel gaze, I've never heard that. Oh, you've never heard? Well, there's there's also shoe gaze, the genre of music. But <laughs> navel gazing is when you're just like talking about yourself and it's going on mm-hmm. and on and on, and then which is a lot of comedy. Like that guy who you were talking about, who was talking about his wife and being with prostitutes. Like, yeah, I'm sure. There's a fun, there's definitely a funny way to address that. Anything can be funny, but like if you just talk about it in a self-indulgent way, so now you got to acknowledge that there's a crowd. Okay. Yeah. No, I've, (laughs) I've felt that on stage before. And I, I mean, we see it happen all the time. Even, even the best of us will, will get fall into that trap at least for a little bit. For sure. It's, it's a, a dangerous hole to go down. I feel myself doing it all the time. I feel people getting bored as I talk a lot. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, I feel like this is in like Dale Carnegie or whatever, but uh, it's people who ask questions and listen, like after you leave that interaction with them, you're like, oh, wow, they were great. Even though they didn't even, they never even really said anything. They just listened to you talk about yourself. Dude, we love cool. to talk about ourselves. The ultimate secret. Mm-hmm. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People book is like cheating at life. Mm-hmm. 
it's insane how it's just like all these little hacks to make people like you. Yeah. It's almost sociopathic, to be honest. I'm almost. sitting here writing down the name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really it's a really good book. You're just like, oh, people just like if I ask questions. It's kind of like the scene in Four Year Old Virgin where Steve Carell just asks questions and then yeah. Elizabeth Banks goes out with him. It's like yeah. that's all it takes, man. It's yeah. If anybody asks me quite like I and I've read the book. So after a couple of minutes of me talking about myself, I'm like, wait, 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 this isn't how this is supposed to go. Right. No, I know. That's why it's great being on a podcast because you guys just ask me questions and I love it. Mm-hmm. Dave, we're not friends anymore because we're friends on false pretenses and you've manipulated me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason people like me is because I'm, I'm mentally doing this checklist. It's like, all right, chapter eight says, yeah, no. No, dude, that book, <laughs> that book does mess with you for like six months and then you kind of wean off of it. Yeah. No, it's not fresh in my mind anymore, but I mean, it's, it's a useful book for sure. It's a great dating technique too. Like yeah. I used to call, I told my wife that I would just Johnny Carson on dates. I would just ask questions mm-hmm. and for hours and the dates would go very well. Mm-hmm. If you just treat it like uh, an interview where you're, and I was genuinely interested, it can't go wrong. Yeah. But you know, you do have conversations with the other person just doesn't have much to say. And it's like, it feels like pulling teeth. Right. Yeah. I've literally asked you every single question. You have nothing for me, but yes or no answers. That wasn't even a yes or no question. And you're not interested in anything that I have to bring either. So it's it's right. (laughs) I've definitely experienced quite a few of those. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, uh, you know, telling someone they have a great set after a mic and then, you're realizing, oh, this is going nowhere. Yeah. Like, uh, you don't know what to say after it. They don't want to answer any questions. They don't want to talk to you. They don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. What did you think of, you know? Because, <laughs> like, when somebody says, I have a great set, it's like, I want to dive into that more. It's like, yeah. all right. Because I just got off stage. Like, I want to know. I want to get you. I'm feedback. funny how? Like a clown? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm you? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how I'm funny. <laughs> no, I think that's why like big comedians don't like like the compliments. They're just like, oh, thank you, because they've gotten all the validation they need. Yeah, there's right. they've maxed out on validation. They're like, all right, I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, I've heard it before. I know I'm very good. Thank yeah. you. And they just move along. They don't they don't want to talk because they they've gotten everything they need out of comedy, and now it's just a <laughs> job. Yeah, I right. want to talk shop about my set. Yeah. <laughs> You need more. You need more validation. That's good. Yeah. You still give a shit. <laughs> you cross the line. Is there anything else you want to add as far as uh, your bit or as far as cancer? Well, or you sent me or a few links and I watched them, even though I yeah. seen them before. Um, Gaffigan, who is very much in the news right now. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> you're, I mean, the timing of, I said this before, this episode is insane because you sent me Gaffigan clips. And also, as we were mentioning before, Chadwick Boseman passed yesterday, which is like shocking. Mm-hmm. That's a that's another thing about cancer is that sometimes you have no idea whatsoever that someone is sick, and they don't show like they don't bald. They just look like beacons of health. They're still just perfect, and it just happens. It's almost like I was thinking the other day, like you never know when a battery is dead. It just mm-hmm. like happens. It's kind of like that. Yeah, um, but uh, the timing was very, very weird, and the Chadwick Boseman thing is incredibly sad. 
But the Gaffigan bits that you sent me were really interesting because the first one is like more him saying, I want to see if I can make cancer funny. Sort of like an Anthony Cheselneck might. Mm-hmm. But with, you know, the Gaffigan flair. And the second one, he has a bit more perspective because his wife had a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. But it's not about her experience. Once again, as we've figured out from this whole thing, mm-hmm. it's about his experience reacting to it. Like, now I can't win a fight. And his pet <laughs> yeah. at it. Like, it's a fun set, but it's also the tiniest bit insensitive, too. Like... I don't know. Have you guys seen um, the Eugene Merman documentary? No, not yet. No, no, but I should watch the doc. It's like the shortest documentary ever. It's like 70 minutes. Um, It's about as fast. It started as a joke and uh, is the name of the doc. And the end of it is like the last 20 minutes after like the history of the Eugene Merman festival is all about how his wife had cancer and unfortunately passed away at the beginning or right before the pandemic and is raising his child. But it's so incredibly weird to watch because it's all documenting him doing jokes about it while she is suffering at home. Like he's not with her during the last few months of her life. And like they talk at the end, like him and her kind of earnestly about how it'll be a document for their child. And that kid is gotta be like, dad, why the fuck were you doing jokes about mom's cancer while she was dying instead of just being at home you are already a successful comedian you can make voiceover money already you're fine it just that is I guess the thing that bugs me about that the most visceral reaction I've ever had to any cancer material even more so than Tiggs was that because it was just like her at home and him like trying it out and like failing. And I was like, just do this after she passes away. Like there's an expiration date on her. And like, it was painful to watch. And it made me think of Eugene Merman a little differently. It was like, it's not important. Comedy is great, but if you have a family member that's dying and your way to cope with it is to do jokes, it's probably not the best. It's definitely a selfish uh, uh, coping. Oh my like, God. I was, I mean, I was at work watching it, like sort of half watching it, but I was just like so frustrated. I was like, what are you doing? Why are you at like a bad bar show right now, popping in to do eight really sad minutes on your wife dying instead of, you know, just like making the end of her life as enjoyable as it could be. Mm-hmm. Like there could have been a whole documentary about why he was avoiding it. Like it was fascinating to me. If you guys can get Eugene Merman on this podcast, please confront him. Yeah. I, I feel like he would do it. I'll have my <laughs> people talk to his called people. Out for this thing. It was, it just like blew me away. I'm like, Ugh! I've never had such a visual reaction. I mean, we all cope in our own ways, but it, to a certain extent, like you, I mean, not to a certain extent, like you have to take, put other people as a priority, it, you know, for sure. Like, it just felt like a tacked on thing to the documentary too. Yeah. But by the end, I completely forgot what the doc was about his festival because it was yeah. like such a bizarre, selfish thing. And I'm literally like basing a whole screenplay off this moment. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was just like blew me the fuck away. It was insane. Um, I was going to say one, one other cancer thing that 
I was really affected by. Did you guys see Funny People? I'm sure. Yeah, I am. Oh my god, the worst cancer movie. Right. Such a fun movie, and then anytime it's about cancer, it, it becomes like the preachiest thing in the world. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very hard to do cancer right. There's fifty fifty. There's like, yeah. you know what? Like as soon as you get cancer, you just start watching all the movies again. <laughs> yeah. It's automatically super dramatic, even though the tone isn't really there, but just the fact that it's about cancer really brings it down to that. It's like cheating. There doesn't have to be any special effects. You're just like, you say the word cancer, it is a special effect. Right. Like, I can't, whoa, this is a deep movie. Right. <laughs> you don't even have to look, he doesn't even have to look sick. It's a, uh, I feel like COVID's the next one. The I have COVID movie. All right. The, the new genre. Right. Yeah. I have COVID. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you should definitely do a, a TIG set parody. Yeah. For me, it's, it's not fresh anymore. Like I did it the other night at an open mic and I didn't, I didn't feel invigorated by it, you know? Yeah. But, you got to have that, that feeling or else it, once the feeling's gone, it feels like you're reading out of a book. Too soon. This was good though. This is oh, It was good. Yeah. I, I feel like this was very, this is the longest podcast I've ever done. I think. Yeah. But, we, yeah, unless we have something we have to do, we don't we don't end it unless it, like the conversation just kind of trails off. Right. I mean, we learned about Dale Carnegie today, guys. Yeah, dude, we went all over mm-hmm. the place with this. Uh, yeah. So, anything else you want to pl- anything you want to plug, Matt? Um, yeah, I make mashups now. To be honest, since the quarantine started, I don't really uh, do as much comedy. But uh, I go by DJ Fleetwood Mash, and you can find me on Vimeo. <laughs> drop some links if you want oh, my mashups are pretty sick to be honest <laughs> send me send me a uh, send me a, a track and then we'll close the it's the show really long I make 30 minute mashups take a wow. clip send me a clip that you really like that, uh, we'll cl- that we'll end the episode on oh seriously okay honestly I'm so excited right now yeah, just take, <laughs> yeah I like take my mashups it. way more than I've liked anything I've ever done <laughs> Not Play yet. a half-hour mashup, and then that'll be like ten percent of the podcast. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I'll just <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> the last two minutes of that is my shit. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm honored. Absolutely, really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for joining us, man. The one thing I've learned from Caroline's, you got to have a thing. Yeah. Like I became the cancer guy. I don't. Yeah. I couldn't say anything about Joe Zimmerman. Yeah. Other than he's funny, which is not a thing. Yeah, that thing is like fifty percent of the battle. Same with like Joe Mackey. Yes, people are like, "I'm a boring white guy," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's a problem." Like, <laughs> there are so like, many of you. How do I fix that? I'm like, well, you know, Tim Dillon fixed it, and he's incredible, and became a headliner. Like, you just gotta figure out what is. I mean, they say finding your voice, but I think it's more like. What is your thing that separates you from everybody else? Mm. You, need yeah. a, you need a thing. Like uh, this guy that I'm writing to you right now, he's the clapping guy. We all know that he does bits where he claps. That's like his thing. Like all of his yeah. bits are dead like this. Like it's, we know what we're going to get. Like it's, it's interesting. It's like you're going to a restaurant and you know what you're going to get as opposed to like, this is bland kind of thing. Like Joe Zimmerman right. great, but you're going to walk out and you're going to be like, I guess he was funny. He was just kind of like this quiet, bookish man kind of thing. 
It's a good point. Yeah, you gotta have a thing. You can't laugh at that. Uh, special thanks to Matt Levy for joining us today. It was a lot of fun. We we got off topic, but who cares? We had fun. Yeah. Yeah. We still covered everything, though, too. We did. Yeah. yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. We covered everything. So I think we figured out that, you know, uh, it's other people's experience of the the whatever the topic is, you know, that... I think I worded it better earlier. Maybe we'll move that clip to the end. Um, But essentially what we're trying to say and what our mission is on this podcast is to prove that no matter how personal, no matter how effective, no matter how offensive it may be, you can laugh at that. That's a wrap. Nice and done. Scene. Scene. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Golden Ox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, a professional. Uh, He makes podcasting easy. And uh, if if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.